Hello and welcome to the Corona Apocalypse. I'm Simon. I'll be your host. Today is Tuesday, March 17th. It is two months into the pandemic. And I'm here to give you just the facts, ma'am. Everything that I'm going to be talking about will be sourced. Unless they're my opinion, because that's just like my opinion, man. Anyway, let's get right to it. Coronavirus, you've heard about it. You're curious about it. Your friends and neighbors are scaring you about it. You've been to the store. You've seen people panic buying. But what's it all about? Let me tell you, I'm going to drop some knowledge. So what is this coronavirus thing anyway? Well, I'm glad you asked. The coronavirus is part of a family of viruses that includes the common cold, and it's named for the crown-like spikes on its surface. Officially, this current coronavirus is SARS-CoV-2, which is kind of a mouthful. And it's also confusing because SARS, the disease from 2002, the severe acute respiratory syndrome, is related to this, but it is not the predecessor. This is a novel, i.e. new coronavirus. And so it actually has the name COVID-19 for coronavirus disease 19. And where's it from? Well, it's kind of a mystery. Most of the research seems to be indicating that it's from bats. Yes, bats. And while some might find them to be cute and cuddly, bats are actually one of the greatest repositories of zoonotic viruses. That is, viruses that can pass from animals, cross species to humans. And it's because bats actually have a highly evolved immune system that they can develop these very, very vicious viruses. And it's also because they like to congregate together in colonies that these viruses can take hold. And so researchers look at bats as the primary candidate for the source of the virus, but it was the people living in Wuhan, China, who had gone to the seafood and animal market there that were the likely patient zeros. Sometime in December, it may have even been in November, that they first became infected and then from there started a wildfire of infection. And by December 31st, when China first acknowledged that this virus was going on, it had gotten to the point where the Chinese were putting fairly draconian measures, things that we can't even imagine, to the point where in Hubei province of 60 million people, they locked that entirely down. That's the same population effectively of California and New York being kept from leaving their homes. We can't even imagine that. In some lesser respects, that is starting to take hold in the United States, that level of quarantine. In Tulsa, for instance, just today, the mayor had, an, by executive order, a requirement that all restaurants, all bars, all clubs, all gyms, bowling alleys, theaters, museums, all of them had to close because those could be locations that people, again, congregate and can cause infection. So now that we've talked about where the virus came from, what does it actually do? For most people, most cases, 80%, 
will be mild. And by that, I mean that it will be similar to a cold. You might have a low-grade fever. There might be a dry cough. And it, in its worst, would be shortness of breath. However, the worst version of it becomes a respiratory infection or pneumonia, similar to a flu-like syndrome, in which a lot of people have tried to compare it to. But make no mistake, this is a very different virus than the flu, which is influenza. Influenza has vaccines. There are a couple of different versions of influenza. So far, we've seen two strains potentially of COVID-19, but there is no vaccine. And that's what makes it particularly dangerous for people of a certain age. Those who are younger, particularly children, don't seem to be very affected by it. But as you get older, those over 60 and particularly those over 80, this can be deadly. In fact, the one major outbreak in the United States early on was in the Seattle suburb of Kirkland at the Life Care Center, where they had 120 residents on February 19th when the first case was found and transferred to the hospital. Within a three-week period, 26 of the residents passed away either at the facility or in the hospital. It may actually be more because the the facility no longer was able to track what happened to all of the people that got transferred away. They were down to, by earlier this week, 43 residents, of whom more than half still test positive for this virus. Uh, total number were something in the order of 63, more than half of their residents if it were infected from an unknown source because the earliest indication of infection in the United States was in the Seattle area where one man who had traveled to China early in February returned and started suffering from coughing. He went into a hospital four days after he returned and was then diagnosed with this novel coronavirus. That was the earliest patient that was known, and soon after, it was spread all over Seattle. That's what the fear is across the rest of America, that it's already gotten into the community and is starting to have community infections, which may, as indicated earlier, be so mild that people don't even know. Now, those who've been paying attention know that this is a serious matter, and it was demonstrated one week ago at an NBA game in Oklahoma City where the Utah Jazz player Rudy Gobert had tested positive for the coronavirus. Ended up that the game was not only canceled, but the NBA decided they're going to cancel all the remaining games on the basis of this one player having shown to be positive. Later, it turned out that one of his teammates, who had no idea that he was infected, also tested positive. And that is perhaps the scariest part of this particular virus, that it has a long incubation period. And by long, I mean it might take five days before symptoms show. The, that's the median so far. It could be as fast as two days, rarely, or as long as two weeks. But within that five-day period, 
the virus actually is continuing to grow and in the terms shed and become contagious while walking around with no symptoms at all. And just as concerning is that the virus seems to stay in the body and continue to be contagious for weeks after even recovery. In one recent study looking at the cases in China, researchers found that in extreme cases, the virus was still detectable 37 days after infection. Considering that, the two weeks that were initially recommended as a quarantine period seem laughable. While one might show symptoms at that point and may even recover, it may very well be that individuals can continue to be contagious even after they've left quarantine. And that's what has now prompted a number of cities to start locking down some of the public gathering places and recommending that people stay home for even longer periods of time. So why is it that this is such a frightening virus? Well, for all the reasons mentioned before that it's so contagious, it has what's known as an R0 or R subscript zero number. That's its basic reproductive number of between 2 and 2.5. What that basically means is that each individual person that has the virus on average will infect at least two other people currently, which leads it to having a doubling rate, the number of cases over a period of time growing exponentially, doubling every six days. Now, the goal of all of these extreme measures that are going on in the United States and elsewhere, such as in Italy, which has locked itself down completely, France is now doing that as well. Canada has shut its borders to anyone but Canadian citizens, and apparently people from the U.S. because can't shut us out. But the reason for that is to flatten the curve, to make it more difficult for the contagion to find hosts. That's ultimately the goal. Keeping people apart, that was the notion of social distancing, making people aware of the potential to become infected. So how effective have the measures taken so far recommending social distancing and quarantining and locking down certain businesses? Have those slowed the rate of infection? Well, it's hard to tell. The United States was slow to start testing. As I mentioned earlier, Oklahoma, where I'm currently residing, had the capacity to run 100 tests, but they had to be confirmed, sent away to the CDC. Now that has changed. They have twice the capacity. They've gotten more tests in, and naturally, more people have been found. The same goes for the U.S. overall. Just in the last day, the U.S. has gone from just over 4,600 confirmed cases to now over 6,500. Because of the increased testing, at some point on Wednesday the 18th, there will be over 7,000 cases in the U.S. and over 200,000 worldwide. 
but that still doesn't get the actual number. It doesn't capture it because testing has been so slow. With mass testing, we're going to find more cases, and that's going to make the numbers increase. But that's not a reflection of what the real infectious rate is. We just don't have a handle on it. We don't know how many people are actually sick in the United States have COVID-19. And that's why some of these measures have gone into effect because there is a sense that there is many, many more people infected than the testing has shown. So that was episode one of Coronapocalypse 2020, newly remastered to make it listenable. This was my first podcast, so it's a work in progress. Stick around for the next part in which I talk about the number of cases, recoveries, and the economics of the pandemic. But trust me, these get much better. So go ahead, skip ahead. It's okay. I won't get mad if you miss some.